Our gospel reading for this morning comes from John chapter 6. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were beside the sea, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has sent his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in whom in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What sign are you going to give us then, so that we may see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. From the bread, For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Please be seated. Grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. What do you know about the story of Jonah? For most of us, it's just what I read and shared from our children's Bible today. If you are like me and my kids, most of what you know about Jonah comes from the classic 2002 VeggieTales movie, Jonah. Has anybody seen the VeggieTales? Yes, it is a cartoon series with uh, characters who are vegetables acting out the stories of the Bible. And it's actually quite good. It's streaming on Netflix. You can check it out. Um, And so my kids and I, I remember watching the story of Jonah told by vegetables. And I don't know whether Jonah was the tomato or the celery or the cucumber or whatever it was, but we loved it. And of course, my kids' favorite part was when Jonah gets swallowed up in the belly of the big fish and spit out. They like the spitting out part. Uh, And that tends to be what people know about Jonah. But there's a lot more to the story than that. As we heard in our reading, God calls Jonah to prophesy to the Ninevites and call them to repentance. But Jonah doesn't want to do it. I mean, he really, really, really does not want to do it. And so he jumps on a boat, this first boat bound for Tarshish, often associated with the Iberian Peninsula, modern-day Portugal and Spain, which would have been the end of the known world at that time. Um, We were actually in this area in Portugal on my sabbatical, and it's a place where cliffs drop down into the water and where the warm, protected waters of the Mediterranean open up to the cold, cold waters of the Atlantic Ocean. I could see how it felt very end-of-the-world-ish in ancient times. On medieval maps, it used to show it used to show Europe, right? And then at the end, beyond that point, there was just some, something that said, there be dragons. That was all people knew. And so the idea was that Jonah wanted to get as far away as humanly possible from this mission to go to Nineveh because of the Ninevites. 
Nineveh was the one-time capital of the Assyrian Empire, which is now part of Mosul in modern-day Iraq. They were a people whose brutal actions had made their names a byword among the Israelites. The Assyrian nation had conquered the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 BCE and thoroughly humiliated the Israelites. One commentary says, in the Bible, Nineveh was regarded as the seat of the greatest enemy of the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. The book of Nahum, which is basically one long tirade against Nineveh, calls that Assyrian capital the bloody city, all full of lies. Another fun fact about the Ninevites, uh, every time I type the word Ninevites on my computer while writing the sermon, my spell check changed it from Ninevites to 90s. (laughs) Even my spell check doesn't like the Ninevites. Nineveh was literally Israel's mortal enemy, and God was asking Jonah to go there into enemy territory to call them to repent, to tell them how bad they were behaving, and to turn their hearts around. And Jonah said, no thanks. So Jonah is on the boat when the storm comes up, and because he has defies God and the sailors have determined that it was him, he volunteers to be thrown off the boat. And God saves him by swallowing up in the fish, and he spits him out three days later. Once Jonah is safely back on land, God calls Jonah for a second time to go to Nineveh, and this time he goes. He arrives and calls the Ninevites to repentance, and they actually do repent in dramatic fashion. The king covered himself in sackcloth and ashes, a public sign of repentance and humility before God, and he commands everyone there to repent and turn from their evil and violent ways. They fast from food and water. They even dress all their animals in sackcloth. And God forgives them. And Jonah, who had already been resentful about doing this, is now beyond angry. He says, O Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? This is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and ready to relent from punishing. And now, O Lord, please take my life, for it is better for me to die than live. Jonah could be just a little melodramatic. Jonah here reveals that he didn't want to go, not just because these were his enemies, but because he knew that God was a forgiving God. He didn't want to prophesy to the Ninevites because he didn't want them to repent, to change. He didn't want God to forgive them. In fact, he would rather that God destroy and punish them instead of forgiving them. He didn't want them to experience the grace of God's love and forgiveness. So Jonah sits outside the city and he pouts. And God grows a bush over above him to provide him shade from the heat. And the next day, God destroys the bush. And Jonah again says, it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, you are concerned about the bush for which you did not labor and which you did not grow. It came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? And also many animals. And the book ends on that question. It's like in the parable of the laborers of the vineyard, where the owner pays all of the laborers a full day's wage, even those who came late at the end of the day. 
And the owner asks, are you envious because I am jealous? Well, yeah. In our Faces of Our Faith devotional booklet, it says that Jonah was reluctant to show his enemy grace, and that this is a story about a man who was reluctant to forgive, and a God who is so loving that grace and forgiveness are the only option. It makes me think about how in our lives we can lock people into where they are and dismiss their potential to change. We can keep some people in our lives locked in their roles because of our resentment, anger, or hurt. We dismiss or preclude the possibility that they might change or that God might forgive them, since we cannot. In a way, we don't want them to change. We want them to suffer as we have suffered. Even when they do change, we want to keep them in the prison of our anger. We want to believe that who they were is who they will always be. It satisfies our resentment, and it allows us to write them off. Do you know what I mean? Jonah didn't want the Ninevites to change. He wanted them to suffer because they had made him and his people suffer. When they, were, were, when they repented and were forgiven, when they changed, it made him even more angry. And I wonder... Who are the people in our lives who have changed, and yet we are not able to accept or abide it? I wonder if we can do just a little better than Jonah. I think this happens at a very, very personal level for us, but we also see it playing out across our polarized culture. Scholars tell us that the book of Jonah was written in a time of great trauma and great regeneration, not unlike our own. The Israelites at the time had become a minority within the Persian Empire, and there was a deep fear of assimilation and losing their identity. They say, there was a strong concern with maintaining traditional covenant values and identity as God's people over and against the melting pot of the Persian Empire. The only recourse many leaders concluded was to separate the Jewish community from the outside world as much as possible. Thus, one issue in the story is surely the relationship between Jew and Gentile, between the God of Israel and the nations of the world. The story of Jonah was intended in part as a corrective against the hard lines being drawn between Jews and Gentiles, between us and them. In our culture today, we set people in place in the same way that Jonah did. We make people or groups monolithic. We reduce them down to one thing. And then we make them into monsters, into something less than human, so that we feel justified sharing our hate or vitriol or anger at them. Like Jonah, we'd rather die than think otherwise. But Jonah shows that God is able to show mercy even when we cannot or don't want to. We, like Jonah, are reluctant to forgive And yet God is so loving that grace and forgiveness are the only option. One thing you see in my job is that everyone is more alike than not. We are born and we bleed and we die the same way. Every family is a combination of joy and brokenness. We all carry unseen suffering. We are so alike and yet we amplify the differences between us 
to justify ourselves, to justify our prejudices or resentment toward others, which only fuels a cycle of anger, hate, resentment, and violence. As the wise Jedi Master Yoda once said, fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Can we forgive as God forgives? Can we accept as God accepts? Can we recognize the complexity of our humanity? Can we emphasize what makes us like rather than what makes us different? Can we allow others to change? Can we allow ourselves to change? Jonah just didn't want the Ninevites to change. He also didn't want the overall situation to change either. He would have preferred that the Ninevites continue being horrible and suffer God's wrath, rather than imagine a world in which there were new possibilities. He would have preferred to continue to be enemies with all the terrible things that entailed, rather than that they repent and thus reimagine the relationship between Nineveh, Assyria, and the Israelites. He could not imagine something different from what he had known and come to accept his whole life, even if it would make for a much better situation. He could not imagine a different future for everyone because he assumed that the future must look like the past. I think that really speaks deeply to where we find ourselves in this moment. I shared in our Friday email a quote from James Neiman, the president of the Lutheran School of Theology in Chicago, where he writes, fixated on progress, We want to speed past these difficult days and figure out what will be in the tired saying, the new normal. But that optimistic phrase masks a double deception. The first concerns whose normal is really valued, which is usually those with privilege and power. The second deception is that we can build a tomorrow on the template of yesterday, a simple update made even better. But the challenge we face today is that the upheaval imposed by the pandemic took one direction only. There was no chance of retreat, no means of reversal, no promise for recovery. Without knowing it, we passed the point of no return. He goes on, maybe that's actually a good thing. In our seminary and church, accepting and embracing irreversible change is leading to significant transformation like never before. There's a freedom and energy when you realize that you cannot go back. I see all around me a desperate desire to return back to normal, however you define it. And I understand the reassurance and comfort and sense of control that it offers. But to Professor Neiman's point, that normal no longer exists. We have crossed the threshold, and there's no going back. Life is already and will be different. Work is already and will be different. Church is already and will be different. We can become paralyzed by this. We can lament this. Or we can recognize it for the opportunity that it presents for us to be transformed, to try new things, to experiment, to innovate, to accept an invitation to newness, for our church to meet a new set of spiritual needs and live our mission in new and vital ways, drawing on the strengths of this community. This is a moment in our lives to make the changes that we have long considered making. Life is different, and we've seen how fragile and short life can be, and it has reminded us of what matters the most. Maybe we are afraid to make those changes. 
Maybe we are reluctant. Maybe like Jonah, we feel a kind of resentment about having to change. Maybe it's a little bit of each. But we make a mistake like Jonah if we insist that the way things were must be the way the things should be. To Professor Neiman's point, that is simply not possible. We can sit under a withered bush and lament about it, cry about it, rage about it, and resent the hell out of it, and just say, God, take me now, until we're exhausted. Or we could try something new. We can start to see the world as God sees it, full of possibility, newness, and blessings that we cannot even imagine from our current vantage point. The thing is, when we don't allow others to change, when we don't allow our world to change as if we could control that, then we don't allow ourselves to change. We fix ourselves in place, and we miss out on the goodness and grace that is already ours, that is right here for us. But often we would rather be stuck than imagine something different, new, and better. Let us not make the same mistake as Jonah. Let us not withhold God's grace from others or ourselves. Let us live into this new thing that God has in store for us. As God says in Isaiah 43, See, I am about to do a new thing. Do you not perceive it? Amen.